Welcome everyone to Elemental Awakening. I'm G. Today I have a very special guest, Sachin, Dr. Sachin Pateau. Very good friend of mine. Uh, we've had amazing experiences together. He's a chiropractor. He's uh, in the functional medicine space. We're going to talk a lot about. He does so many amazing things and he's also a good friend of mine. So uh, welcome to the show. Thank you, brother. Thanks for having me. Thanks for sharing your gift with the world and helping us spread the message of goodness. Yeah. So... Um, we've been trying to get this podcast recorded for quite some time now, a few months, and every time we get together, we end up talking or doing something, and next thing you know, we run out of time to record the podcast, so today we're like, okay, we're going to do it, we sat down, hit record, and then we're like, okay, what are we going to talk about? <laughs> and, you know, we've had so many amazing conversations that we're just going to flow with, we're going to we're gonna follow, you know, Sachin's someone I find very interesting, like many of the guests on the show, and he's a lot of, he's very inspirational, he's one of my mentors, and um, I don't forget one thing he said to me that actually changed my life. I was bringing me awareness as to the way I was speaking about the things in my life. Hmm. And that was a big turning point. If you listen to the first episode where I talk about my journey um, with, the, with the float center and all the stress and things I was going through, it was one of the three turning points, which I said was watching a Donald Trump documentary, doing 5-MeO DMT, and then a conversation with Sachin who pointed out, hey man, if you're going to keep talking about the place like that, you're going to create that. And I was like, oh, this is so hard. It takes time, you know, blah, blah, blah. So this is the guy, and uh, yeah, I guess just tell us a bit about your story of, of your path of service, uh, wanting to be of service in the chiropractic, and how that shifted over the last you know five ten years as you know you've been evolving. Sure. So I started off as a chiropractor, as you mentioned, and specifically working with athletes, specifically working with Olympic athletes and professional athletes, and then two years into practice, I was on the news. and that resulted from us doing great work. Specifically, we were on the news for elbow pain, and. So we, the news report airs, it was fantastic, they did a great job. So great, in fact, that all these people started calling our practice. But unfortunately, many of those people that came in were really unwell. So we went from overnight seeing some of the healthiest people in our community to seeing some of the sickest people in our community. And through that interaction that I had with these dozens of patients that came in, I recognized that I had a major deficiency, I didn't know how to help them, because they were coming with chronic debilitating health issues so it was kind of like an existential crisis for me. I said you know, to myself, I'm like, man, I can help all these really uh, high-performing athletes, but the people that really need me, I really don't have a solution for them. And what was gutting for me was I didn't even know where to send them because they had been to every doctor, tried every drug, had the scans, had the procedures done, and they were still struggling. So I, you know, being the person that I am, staying in integrity, I told them I can't help them, but I didn't know where to send them, so that became my inner struggle. And right around that same time, I started learning about functional medicine. So somebody who would later become my mentor, Dr. Ron Grisanti, started sending me messages. And not me specifically, but his whole list. And I was on that list, and he was helping people with cases similar to the ones that were coming into our mm -hmm. office. So people with chronic health issues and challenges. Turns out he was a chiropractor. I didn't know that at the time. And I'm like, wow, I wonder if I can do this. And that's when I started learning about functional medicine. And it took me a few years until I started incorporating it into practice, but originally I took it selfishly for myself because I was having digestive issues, struggling with acne and fatigue. That was the other thing. I was exercising, doing all the things right that I thought I should be doing, and uh, I was still struggling with fatigue. So one of the first modules is digestion. 
cut out gluten and cut out dairy and instantaneously my health started to improve. My digestion improved, my energy improved, my skin started to improve. That sounds like blasphemy coming from an Italian background. It's like yeah. dairy, gluten, it's like we're gonna eat no pizza, no pizza, no pasta. <laughs> well, Indian, in, Indian diet's the same, the same way, way, right? Yeah. Especially when you're vegetarian. So as a vegetarian, you're just like, oh my God, what am I gonna eat? Mm-hmm. So, you know, doing that made a profound difference for me. I still remember going to my wife's house, her mom would make me a delicious meal, and then 20 minutes later, I'd be passed out on the couch, and I just wouldn't be able to keep my eyes open. So it was so embarrassing. And to try to be a picture of health and do all the right things, but still struggle with these things internally was, you know, it was kind of emotionally draining for me. And so when I took the functional medicine training, I was like, wow, this is awesome. I feel better. I want to help other people feel this way. And so then I started incorporating it into my practice, but my boss at the time didn't really want anything to do with it because she wanted to focus on soft tissue injuries, which I totally respected. But once you learn this, you can't unlearn it. Mm. And once you start surveying your patients who might be coming in with a shoulder problem, but then you start assessing their diet and you start understanding that, hey, maybe their diet's causing the inflammation that's causing their shoulder to hurt and not progress the way we'd want it to. So I started incorporating it and started getting great results with our clients. And then the original objective was for me to take over that practice. And it just didn't work out because I wanted to practice in a totally different way. So fast forward a couple of years from there, I ended up opening up the Living Proof Institute in Cincinnati, Ohio. And eventually we got that practice up and running, it became successful, and then uh, my wife and I decided to move back to Toronto so we could be closer to our families, opened up a clinic here in, in Mississauga, and, uh, and the rest is kind of history. So we've continued to expand and we've got a few practitioners that work on our team, we've got a holistic health coach. and nutritionists that uh, work on our team to help our patients feel their absolute best and a few years ago I kind of retired from clinical practice that was my 40th birthday gift to myself is to retire all my licenses and essentially focus on coaching practitioners full-time so now what I do is we've created this new model of healthcare, and we'll talk about that I'm sure and instead of trying to fight the existing system let's create a new one that people actually want one that people are willing to pay for one that produces results and then once we were able to do that, then other practitioners wanted to know how to do that as well. Mm-hmm. So we created a whole new healthcare model, you know, financial model, clinical model, and uh, and essentially our model looks after both the patient and the practitioner. And I think that's really important that you guys uh, establish a proof of concept before trying to sell it. I see a lot of people online marketing, like, I'm going to show you how to be a coach, I'm going to show you how to be a digital marketer, I'm going to show right. you how to expand your business, but they've never done it themselves first. They've never mm-hmm. been able to, like prove that their model works. They maybe read a book or watched a video, took all these notes, like now I'm the guru. Right. You know, and I love the, the fact that, you know, you did it first. You you figured out how to make it work. And then once you did establish that, then you wanted to share it. And I think that's the way it should always be done. And you know, like I've had people come to me and say, oh, I want to open an elemental, can I franchise this? And I don't feel like we've even like finalized the, our concept yet. Mm-hmm. You know, the initial trigger is like, yeah, give me like X amount of dollars, you can use the name, open it up, and like, it's up to you if it does well or not, right? right. And I'll tell you how to do it, but like, if, if I don't have it like perfected yet, I don't feel comfortable because I want to give something that I know is going to serve the investors and the owners, but also serve the community to the highest level. So yeah. I think we're on the exact same page there. But I just want to backtrack just a little bit for, for those of you who don't know, like, can you just give us a, like a, a definition of what functional medicine is and how it differs from, I guess, mainstream Western medicine and, and why you think it is, you know, um, 
the medicine of the future and why you're so excited about you know coaching and training people sure so a couple things one is that it doesn't necessarily compete with mainstream medicine so i just want to make that clear for everyone it's it's collaborative and it's cooperative with mainstream medicine functional medicine is not designed to treat or address acute conditions it's and it's really more designed to treat chronic conditions the current medical system is not designed to treat chronic conditions. It's designed to treat acute conditions. So there's this, you know, glove and glove and hand fit there. So example of an acute versus chronic would be. So an acute thing would be you break your leg, mm-hmm. right? Or you have a heart attack and you need to have you know open heart surgery, something like that done. Whereas functional medicine is more geared towards chronic health conditions, which are for the most part diet, lifestyle, environmentally induced. That manifests as something that has a name for it after, like right, okay. exactly. So you know, people go in, they get a diagnosis, but then the medications only manage the symptoms. So the key differences between functional medicine is that it it's basically the exact opposite of conventional medicine, which is it makes the patient the center of the protocol versus the pill the center of the protocol. It's not diagnosis-centered, even though people come to us with a diagnosis, because no diagnosis can ever occur in isolation. There's no such thing as having one chronic disease, because the same process that's creating that chronic disease is you know, destroying you know, other organs in your body as well that we haven't identified yet. So it's the opposite in that direction as well. And then, you know, one of the big things that we do that's different is we try to use natural remedies versus using pharmaceutical remedies. And that's not to say that there isn't a time and place for those, but we try to use nutrition as, a, as medicine, lifestyle as medicine, mindset as medicine, relationships as medicine, because we certainly know that the opposite of that can be a poison, right? So your relationship can be a poison to your health, your food can be a poison, your mindset can be poison to you. So we try to recalibrate the patient's perspective, and we always try to go for the root cause. And the root cause may not always be biochemical or biological. Sometimes a root cause can be environmental. Sometimes a root cause could be a trauma that somebody's experienced that they haven't quite resolved yet. So we try to dig through the layers of what's going on with that person. And instead of applying green medicine, which is giving them a natural remedy for their diagnosis, we really try to go below the surface to see what's going on with them. Mm, Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, So... In, in like you know, where we live in Canada, I know it's um, OHIP pays for a lot of stuff, and people, a lot of people have benefits. So most of the things in functional medicine are not covered. Do you find that challenging as, as growing a business to get people to pay for things that they otherwise would perceive as, oh, this is something I can get for free if I just do what um, what is covered under under what's acceptable um, for more of the business? And how have you tried to change that? Because I know you had some concepts that you shared about like group classes and sort of stuff like that. Yes, there's a variety of ways to overcome some of those objections because, you know, the OHIP is great and I'm glad we have it. And, you know, certainly it'll be there to serve me or my family members when they need it, when it's appropriate. But think of OHIP like your uh, car insurance, right? Your car insurance is not going to, is not designed to improve the performance of your car. It's designed to be there if you get into an accident or something acute happens again. And, it's, and then the insurance covers the services. So if you go to any OHIP-covered practitioner, they cannot focus on optimizing your health. They have to diagnose you with something, establish a diagnosis, and then treat you specifically for that diagnosis. You can't go in there and say, hey, I want to feel better. 
So I like to think of functional medicine like going to a tuner shop. You can take a $150,000 Porsche and take it to a tuner and pay a little bit extra and they can add another you know, 100 horsepower to your mm-hmm. engine versus taking that same car, crashing it into a wall and then taking it to a body shop or a mechanic to then fix it. So that's what OHIP is. That's kind of what insurance is designed for. People who come to us are really looking for performance enhancements or they're looking for somebody to dig through the things that the OHIP covered practitioner wasn't able to. And we spend more time, like, you know, the things that people want, they want to feel heard, they want to, they want someone to spend time with them, they want to have access to their practitioner, they want to be able to get in to see them at a reasonable time, they want somebody who's going to uh, spend a little bit more time explaining things to them. So we're not actually directly competing against OHIP mm-hmm. because no matter how much money you were to go and pay your doctor, or how much time you're going to spend with them, none of these services would be covered. They're not going to optimize your health. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, but what about like people that can't afford to pay for this? Don't you think they have the right to this type of knowledge and information? They do. So we actually have a free program. So okay. we actually give away our best information for free. We don't give away our time for free, but we certainly give away our information for free. So we've actually created a 30-day program called 30 Ways in 30 Days, where I give away my best 30 tips. So if you were to come in and pay me, or pay my team members, we would tell you the exact same things. And these are the things that you can do on your own. These are the things that you should be doing on your own. Certainly you can pay us to tell us, tell you these things, or you can just go online and get it for free. And every day for 30 days, I'll send you a short little video that tells you exactly what to do. And this is on your website? Uh, yep, exactly. Satchinpatel.com? So if you go to, th- we actually have a separate website for it. It's 3030in30.org. So if you go there, it's a really quick opt-in page. We'll send you a free copy of my cookbook. And then every day for 30 days, you'll get a, oh. a nice email. Okay. So yeah, so we've taken care of the free part. So people want free healthcare? Well, by all means, mm-hmm. right? And But if you want my time, then that's not free, right? Just like their time isn't free. Of course, yeah, it's, of it's valuable. And that's why we've put that resource together because you know 80% of people who go through that resource don't end up needing our services which is what we want. That's the actual solution to our healthcare crisis. It isn't more, uh, you know, hey, come and see me, come and see me, because in a city of 6 million people in a country of 35 million, that's how many people are you going to see in a day. Mm. What I believe the true solution to our healthcare crisis is, is actually uh, people who know how to take care of their health, not people who wait until they get sick and then find a natural healer. So even if I was free and covered by OHIP, I still don't feel like that's the long-term solution. Mm. Nothing can help somebody unless they're willing to help themselves. So really what I believe the future is, is not even functional medicine. What I believe the future is people who are self-empowered, self-actualized, who know how to take care of themselves. So think of it this way, like I never want to see your kids in my office. I never want my son to be a patient in my office. So what do I have to do for uh, his life to be that way? What do I have to feed him? What, what do I have to feed him mentally, emotionally, spiritually, you know, physically? What do I have to feed him to make that happen? These are the things that we want to teach other people. Now, what we believe is that should be happening at a very young age. That mm-hmm. should be happening, um, you know, the sooner the better, right? And really the only way in one generation you can change our, our healthcare narrative by teaching parents how to be better parents. So what do, you, what do you think the top two or three things a parent should be, be teaching their kids? Is there, is there a short list of... Well, things are really you find really crucial as a parent yourself, and someone that sees, I guess, a lot of good parenting, maybe not so good parenting. <laughs> so here's what I'll say: it's it's actually I want to take that word teaching back. It's more about modeling, mm-hmm. because if you model health and healthy practices, 
you never have to teach your kids anything. Where we have to teach our kids to do something is if we ourselves are not doing it. Mm-hmm. So if we're modeling, you know, that exercise is important, that spending time in nature is important, that eating healthy is important, that thinking healthy is important, we're speaking to them in a healthful way, then they don't know any different, right? Like my son, you know, you know him, he gets to travel all over the world with us and he doesn't know any different. He just thinks that everyone else gets to travel over the world uh, just like that. So we try to, you know, embody that for him. And that's why our practice is called Living Proof, because we believe that we should be role models. And that's what I think patients are looking for, too. They're looking for role models, not pill models. Mm-hmm. You use some of the best one-liners on Facebook. If you don't follow me, you've got some <laughs> Thank you. amazing one-liners and memes that you put up all original content. So to answer your question, though, aside from modeling, I think the, the three things, there's actually three things that are the fastest tools to heal. So if you just get one thing out of this presentation, it would be this. Uh, look at what children do when they don't feel well. And us adults strive to do that too now. So the first thing children do is they stop eating. So naturally, intuitively, we fast because that turns on our body's own regenerative capabilities. So kids, when they're sick, they don't want to eat anything. As much as we try to shove something down their throat, they don't want to eat, right? And the body kind of shuts the digestive system off as well because it's saying, hey, let's not focus on food right now. Let's focus on healing and repair. The other thing is sleep. So sleep is very underrated. It's not very sexy, right? You know, it's like they call sleep the cousin of death. I talk about it all the time, and, and I was I was really like taking Gary Vee's advice for a long time, like sleep when you're dead, like wake up at five, crush it. And then I read Matthew Walker's book. I'm like, oh my god, what am I doing to myself? Why are we sleeping? Have you read that book? Yeah. Yeah. So so sleep is like the most underrated tool. It's free. I mean, you just lay there. You don't. It doesn't cost you anything. So fasting. Yeah. So it's fasting is exactly. save money. You save money. And then the third thing also is free is silence. Mm-hmm. So that could be meditation. It could be a walk in the woods. But having some alone time to yourself uh, and reflecting and, um, and you, you know, just kind of observing your thoughts uh, is super, super powerful. So I see a book coming on. How to save money and save your life, you know. Yeah. I would add even, like, cold showers. There you go. One. You know, that's, that's been my sort of saving grace where um, cold exposure on a daily basis just. I never get sick anymore. I have this clarity and this energy to Amazing. And again, like if you're taking cold showers, you have less heating bills. You know? yeah. So it's cheaper than probably what you're doing now. It's also pretty much free. Yeah. Um, and it has so many benefits to it. So all these things you're talking about, it's it's, it's all free. Really free. Like we actually do a, a webinar, it's called How to Heal from the Ground Up for Free. And so we basically go through the seven chakras and how to activate them by simply, you know, doing the things that support those areas. So one is getting spending time in nature and grounding, really deeply connecting. The next one is having good, loving, healthy relationships. The next one is healthy digestion. And when we talk about healthy digestion, we really focus, you know, of course we want to focus on what people eat, but people come to us and they've tried this diet, they've tried that diet, they've tried this diet, and they're still not well. So then the question we ask them, which always kind of knocks their socks off, which is how do you eat? Are you eating under stress? Are you eating, you know, chewing too fast or not even chewing your food and just inhaling it? Because that process of digestion requires activation. In fact, when we eat under stress, we actually don't activate our digestive centers. So if you're under stress, 80% of your blood flow to your digestive system basically shuts off. So how can I digest the meal if I'm eating under stress Mm. and not sending blood to the area that I want that activation to take place? 
The next one is following your heart and your passion, speaking your truth, getting in tune with your intuition, and then uh, you know really connecting with a greater source. So it sounds like you're you're incorporating some sort of spiritual type teachings mm-hmm. into something like functional medicine, which functional medicine sounds very scientific to me, and it's a lot yeah. of a lot of testing and checking your microbiome, which we just recently did, and my results were not as perfect as I was hoping them to be, so I got some work to do. Um, so tell me about that, like what your personal beliefs are and how that plays into overall wellness, having a spiritual practice and, and you know, some things that may fall into line with that, you know? Yeah, so, you know, functional medicine, like I haven't found a better word for what we do and we're still looking for that. So certainly if any viewers or even yourself come up with something, uh, please let me know. But we've kind of taken functional medicine and made it 20% of our focus. The other 80% of our focus is what's happening uh, with respect to the patient, their lifestyle, you know, their journey. So then, I'll let you continue in a second. Um, I was going to ask this question. So are all functional medicine practitioners the same? Or is there like a certain little base that, that's considered functional medicine and then flexibility to sort of incorporate how you like? Yeah, so functional medicine, you know, the, the father of functional medicine, names, his name is Jeffrey Bland. And him and I had a conversation over lunch uh, a couple of months ago. And when he originally kind of coined that term... It, it wasn't to create a whole new form of healthcare. It was just a, a way of observing the body and understanding basically what we call systems biology, where all the systems and, and biological systems are connected to one another. And then what ended up happening is labs started coming up with ways of assessing these functions in the body. And then supplement companies came up with ways of addressing these areas nutritionally or supplementally. And then it kind of snowballed into testing and supplements, testing and supplements. So the conventional, um, you know, understanding of functional medicine, the average person's understanding of functional medicine is I'm going to go there, I'm going to get some lab testing done, and I'm going to get, you know, supplements. And that's... Someone's going to fix me. Right. And that's what we call functional medicine 1.0. So that's not what we practice. Functional medicine 2.0 is maybe asking some additional questions. So a simple example I'll give you is vitamin D. So I just had a client today, her vitamin D was super, super low. And so if I give that person vitamin D, which we will, because hers was really low, if all I do is give that person vitamin D, and then the next time we run the labs, the vitamin D comes back up, well, I haven't really changed the behavior that created a deficiency. So we all know that vitamin D deficiency occurs when we have a sunlight deficiency. Well, in order to get sunlight, you gotta be outside. And so when you're outside, you're connecting with nature, you're getting fresh air, you're breathing in the essential oils that are coming in from the trees, you're breathing in the microbiome of, of, of nature as well. So it's inoculating your body and your lungs. So there's so many things that happen when you're outside in nature aside from getting sunlight. So to give that person vitamin D, make their lab work look normal, and then not change the behavior to me is a form of murder because mm-hmm. I'm not actually helping that person uh, live their best life. Because what happens when they get outside, there's thousands of other processes that start to improve in their body. In fact, when you're outside, your circadian rhythm improves, your sleep improves, like all these other things start getting dialed in because we are, you know, we are nature. Mm-hmm. And so connecting with it is very important. And so that's functional medicine 2.0, which is changing the behavior. And then functional medicine 3.0 is creating an environment for that person to heal deeply and have a support system and a network so that they can, when they're in trouble or when they need help and support, there's somebody there for them. Uh, either it's us as their practitioners or the community that we try to create for them. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the 3.0 version of this, the functional medicine. Does the spiritual philosophy 
fit in there anywhere at all, or is that 4.0 coming? <laughs> well, about the chakras earlier. Yeah, I, I would say that that's that. You know, not everyone's ready for that part, right? Because it, it takes a, a certain level of evolution of somebody's journey to get there. But I think when people feel great, when they have awesome health, when they have a great community, then spirituality kind of naturally fits into that equation. Yeah, because like I, I think it's super important. I think even like finding like sense of purpose and mm-hmm. like some of these other things that you mentioned about living from the heart. Like you don't have to be religious to be no. like spiritual, you know. And I think that's that's really important to discern the difference between the two because some people automatically associate spirituality with like, oh, this functional medicine is going to say we need to be Buddhist or we need to <laughs> do this, and it doesn't have to mean that. It just no. means more like uh, conscious awareness of how you fit into this this bigger picture, and it doesn't have to be uh, associated with any religion. No, um, you know, and I think that that's a big one for for me personally is realizing that I didn't have to be Catholic to be spiritual. Um, although I grew up Catholic and um, I think there's a lot of good lessons in the Bible and through Jesus' teachings but there are also many lessons through any single religion you know that, that really sort of in one way or another have impacted me in my life one thing, I, one thing I'll say just uh, this might be helpful for some people but I, I view religion as going to the temple and I view spirituality as becoming the temple mm-hmm. like so that. it's more about who we become in that process and if we can create that purity in our bodies, then it, it really elevates our consciousness to the next level. Mm-hmm. What, what would you say is some of the things that have really helped you to expand your consciousness in, in the last few years? I know you've been on quite the journey since... Uh... Yeah, I, you know, I, w- I would say that having a son, that's definitely a spiritual awakening and changes your life view and perspective on things. Um, you know, certainly running a business, I view that as almost a spiritual journey. And the thing that's really, you know, expanded my consciousness to a whole new level are plant medicines and psychedelics. That's because, my next question, so. Yeah, because it, it's really just opened me up to a whole new dimension that's always been there, but I just wasn't able to access mm-hmm. through, you know, you know, these traditional senses, so to speak. And what do you think the role of plant medicine and psychedelics is going to play in, in our healthcare system in the future? And there was a lot of talk about psychedelics in the pipeline to be like... Um, the next big wave, nothing mm-hmm. Forbes, New York Times, all these publications are talking about it. I don't know if those are the stock guys trying to pump up, you know, the, <laughs> the hype for these stocks to get money going into there. Because I know there's a big thing with the whole cannabis where it got over pumped, all this money went in. Now the market-wise, you know, I, obviously the healing potential hasn't changed, but the outlook is like, oh, we're not so good investment anymore, you know. So I don't know what you think from maybe your own experiences or people in the industry that you talk to. Um, is there a lot of excitement towards their potential? Is there a lot of fear? What do you think the... You know, I would say that psychedelics are very misunderstood by the average person. And, you know, a lot of people haven't actually experienced, you know, psychedelics or the powerful effects that they can have. And, and I'm looking forward to that opportunity. Right now, they're used more in clinical trials in very specific instances. But, you know, someone like myself, I don't have depression. I'm not you know, suicidal, I'm not having, you know, a crisis of any sort. So that type of intervention wouldn't be available to someone like me if we keep it strictly for a clinical setting. So I believe where they can make the biggest impact is if they can be used recreationally, but also under supervision, because I think that's really important. So similar to not the acute treatment, more of the optimization or like expansion type treatment, like functional medicine would be... Um, a perfect sort of fit for that type of... Uh... Well, you know, if we could go to the zero point, I think that that's where psychedelics would be, mm-hmm. right? Where it'd be like, if we could just start everyone there, um, that would probably eliminate a lot of the burden on our healthcare system because people would treat themselves differently. They would treat other people differently. 
they would show up in, in a room or in their office or in their workplace or when they pick up their children, they would show up as a completely different human being. Mm. Amazing. Um, you mentioned a little bit earlier, and I think this is interesting because I sort of feel similar, that uh, being an entrepreneur is a spiritual practice in mm -hmm. a way. How would you sort of expand on that? Um, like different challenges that come up? I think the universe and, and your spirit is uh, maybe not being tested, but has opportunity for learning all the time. And the decisions we make, whether out loud or whether internally, and how we treat people, how we run our businesses, mm -hmm. only we really have to sort of answer to that as an entrepreneur. Right? Right. So it's our business that make the decisions, but then there's like those ethical decisions or those decisions where no one's ever going to know. It's like, oh, should I fire this person? Should I give this person a raise? How am I going to deal with that client that is totally at fault and it's giving me shit? Like, do you respond with love or do you tell them to go F off? You know, like, how, how has it been for you? Because I've, I've gone through my own similar experiences mm -hmm. where I felt the universe was just really pressing on me to, like, have these realizations yeah. where in the past it was like, it was just like all this victimhood and pain and like not seeing beyond what the bigger picture was. So any of your own experience? That you yeah, you know, you know, I've been in business for almost 10 years now and I would say, you know, it's evolved. Certainly it's evolved from where it was to where it is now. And, you know, now our mantra is to serve with love. Mm -hmm. So as much as we can, our objective is to serve with as much love in every situation as we can. You know, even my emails now, I sign off Love Sachin. <laughs> even if it's even if I just met that person for the first time, whether it's a male or a female or whether I've known them for 20 years, you know, it's always Love Sachin because we want to imbue that and infuse that into everything that we do. And we want people to know that we that's that's where everything we say comes from. So what I tell people and pe people who know me know that I'm very blunt and to the point. Um, and I tell them, you know, you can either have a tough life or I can give you some tough love. But it'll always be love. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you have the choice, right? And I feel like if we can be honest and forthright with people and just tell them what's on our heart, then they're going to be more appreciative of that. I think they're going to value your relationship more and they're going to appreciate where that's coming from. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. That was beautiful. Um, okay, so I guess just changing gears, maybe a bit more about you personally. What are some of the things that you use to optimize your daily life? So um, some of your, I guess best tips or tools that you find really give you that advantage to perform at a higher level? Is there anything in particular? Sure. You know, I really focus on my sleep. That's, I know you're wearing an aura ring, I'm wearing an aura ring as well. And I pay attention to that. That kind of clues me in into how hard I can push myself or what I should be focused on that day. And, you know, another big thing, so sleep is one. I try to get outside every single day. I know we're in the middle of a blizzard here, but, uh, you know, I try to make that my focus is if I can get some... Uh, outdoor time if I can get some good rest then that's gonna those two things are gonna be the biggest dominoes that I can push over in my life and then everything else kind of falls into place and of course you want to eat a healthy diet so I'm a pretty much plant-based diet and you know I try to drink a lot of water and stay hydrated I try to keep moving I, I lift weights three times a week and the focus really is you know how can I make the most of my day so it's not necessarily, you know, sometimes what happens people when they put together a morning routine or a daily routine, it creates a lot of anxiety for them. Whereas for me, I kind of go with the flow. So I have, I have something in mind, but if something else comes up that's more important or needs my attention, then I, I deal with that immediately. I'm actually guilty, if you want to say guilty, but my inbox is almost at zero. Right? So I saw I, a post that the other day, yeah. I was like, wow, I'm very envious, my <laughs> yeah. 4,000 emails. <laughs> so, you know, I try to be very efficient with my time. And so instead of just staying in front of my computer, I'll check my email periodically throughout the day and make sure I stay on top of things. 
And I know some people will say, don't check your email first thing in the morning. But what I've realized is I love checking my email first thing in the morning for a few reasons. Well, not first, absolute first thing, but you know, in the first half hour, because I get amazing emails every day. So I get lots of testimonials, I get lots of feedback, I get lots of people saying awesome things or opportunities that are opening up. And so my email is expansive, but some people's email is very negative. So avoiding that negativity doesn't get rid of it. Mm-hmm. So what I tell clients to do is really focus on how can you, you know, clean up your inbox in terms of what are, what are the opportunities that are coming inwards. Because if you're getting all this negativity coming in or your email creates anxiety for you versus opportunity for you, then you're always going to be running away from it. So, you know, I, I try to get some of those things out of the way because then I can start my day with a clean slate. Mm-hmm. And then another thing with, in, with the inbox is I use something called SaneBox. So it filters my emails for me appropriately so that I don't even see some of the junk mail that's coming so in. Is that Google plugin? Is that Gmail? Uh, like yeah, that? yeah. Okay. I'm look that one up. Yeah, check it out. It's, it's great. I'll send you a link. And then what about like supplementation, fitness, um, any, any electronic, yeah, biohacking gadgets other than the Aura Ring, any, anything else? That's yeah, so really I, have the Aura, I have the Aura Ring. I really like HeartMath as well because that's a, you know, that's a tonifier of your central nervous system and it helps you build resilience through your breath um, and breathing techniques. I also use resistance bands. So instead of just using free weights, I use resistance bands, which are high intensity resistance bands, and that allows you to get a much more intense workout in way less time. So it's very time efficient. I do yoga three to five times a week. And that's another big thing for me. And I do take cold showers uh, whenever I can. And then I also uh, use the sauna. So I have an infrared sauna that I use probably two to three times a week. And, you know, one, one obviously, you know, um, I talked about earlier in the podcast. um, I don't know if that's the first time I recorded or not, but you were one of the guys in, in my first podcast that I shared really had an impact on me when you, when you, when you brought to my attention the way I was speaking about, um, our floats at the time. It was, it was our first year. We still hadn't, you know, got to the target we were looking for yet. I was, you know, this is my spiritual entrepreneur experience where I was, you know, dealing with my attachment to money and, and my, my net worth and so forth, you know, like yeah. dilemma of like, what's going to happen if this fails. And, um, you brought to my attention that I was the way I was speaking, you know, like, Oh, these things, they take time. And, you know, it's hard and, you know, like, like all these like excuses and like things, but you brought to my attention that I was projecting that mm-hmm. I was creating that reality by continuing to say that to everyone, bringing that energy into my field. How important is it for you? You know, like having that mindset and things like manifesting. Cause I know you've you had a podcast that's brilliant about it. I'll share it in the link here that I really love. I think it was called mindset mastery. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to talk a little bit about that and how you use that in your daily life? Sure. So if we look at, our thoughts. Our thoughts are the highest vibration that our bodies can create, and they basically project into the entire universe. And what happens with the thoughts that we have is we're actually setting in motion billions and trillions of moving parts. We may not realize this, but we are. And so I guard my thoughts like I would if, as if I was wielding a sword in front of me. And I and try to be extremely conscious of the words that I use, of the thoughts that I have. But I also remind myself that just like a keyboard on my computer, if I make a mistake, I can press delete and I can start typing, you know, or speaking or thinking new words. I learned this a few years ago and it was really, it started when my brother put on The Secret. This was like probably like 12 years ago. And at the time I wasn't ready for it. I'm like, oh, this is, what is this stuff, right? And, uh, and 
of course, when you're skeptical, it doesn't work for you, right? So you really, truly have to believe it. But then once you believe it and you receive it, it's amazing what you can put into motion, mm-hmm. what you can actually manifest. I'll give you an example. We have an event coming up and I wanted to sell it out so I could go to Portugal. And I said, if it sells out by this time, or I'm sorry, when it sells out, then I'll book my ticket. And within two weeks, it was sold out. So the words that we use, the thoughts that we have, the things that we hold, not just the words that we speak, but the thoughts that we hold in our heads are extremely, extremely powerful. A lot of times these things might even come up through, uh, you know, one of the things that's important, and this is kind of shedding light on our conversation, is that you want to speak with people who are listening to the words that you're saying. Not just agreeing with the words that you're saying, but then that they actually care enough to tell you that you're making, you're creating this. Whatever, whatever you're speaking, you're actually creating this. And so if you say something is hard, then you'll always find reasons for it to be hard. If you say it takes time, well, yeah, everything takes time. Nothing happens instantly. Well, some things happen instantly, but um, you know, nothing happens in, and nothing materializes instantly. So we have to start uh, you know, realizing that, yeah, things do take time, but they don't have to take long. Mm-hmm. Right, everything takes time, but it doesn't have to take as long as we might think. Because if we go in with that attitude, then we're always going to see delays. And the brain is always looking for reasons for it to be right. And so, if we again, if we say something's going to take time, something's going to be hard, then or hey, I'm going to go and there's going to be tons of traffic. Well, you will always find reasons uh, for the the brain will always find ways to make itself right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. I've had so many affirmations in my life once I started changing my mindset around these things. I started listening to a lot of other podcasts that talk about these kind of things. Um, but it's, it's so true. And if you don't have a clear vision of where you want to go or what you're working towards, mm-hmm. um, and you know, it's like you said, the brain is going to find opportunities to focus on what you're focusing on, um, to attract the opportunities based on what you're focusing on. And if you have no focus, or you're just looking day to day, what you're doing today, in that rat race, waking up, going to sleep, looking for two vacations a year, you get stuck in that like, mm-hmm. forever because yeah, a lot of people do. that becomes your reality. And you don't think about like, what am I going to do? Because we're sort of brainwashed or society or whatever you want to call it. It's like, oh, freedom 55, work to 65, retire, and then you'll have to live the rest of your life. <laughs> I'm like, fuck, 65. <laughs> I don't even know if I'm going to be here in 10 years. I'm only 65. So, uh, one, one thing I want to add to that uh, that I think it's important and it might be difficult without the video, but I'll explain it anyways, is you can go on YouTube and search up cymatics. Mm-hmm. So cymatics is how vibration changes the way, uh, everything's vibration, right? Everything has a resonant frequency to it. And what they did is they took a plate, a metal plate, they put sand on it, and then they had a speaker underneath it, and then they had a frequency generator. And as we start increasing the frequency, at specific frequencies, you would see the sand would coordinate itself in very specific shapes, reproducible shapes based on the frequency. As we increase frequency, the complexity increased. So what that tells you, you know, the question that you would pose after seeing that is, wow, so if I increase frequency, I increase complexity. So then the question becomes, what's the most complex structure in the known universe? Because that would be vibrating at the highest frequency. Well, it's the human mind. And so our mind is is the highest frequency, you know, object uh, in the universe, which means it's vibrating at higher frequency. And we know that frequency can coordinate and create matter mm-hmm. and organize matter. 
And so our mind has that capability of literally creating our future. Hmm. And so when we believe that, so the first step is believing it, right? Receiving it, believing it, and then we achieve it. And if we, if we don't, then we're just, we're always going to find reasons. If we don't believe it, we're always going to find reasons that allow us to fulfill that belief that I don't believe this. Mm. So it's important that uh, people realize that. So we can scientifically prove that your thoughts become things, that your words become your worlds using cymatics. Incredible. Hmm. Any book recommendations, anything you've been reading lately that's um, really hit you in a way that was like, wow, this is uh, very impactful, I want to share it? My favorite book of all time, so if I ever get this question, I, I, it's always the same answer as the Bhagavad Gita. And the version I like is called the Bhagavad Gita, A Walkthrough for Westerners. And it's written by Jack Hawley. So it's a very easy uh, walkthrough of what's considered India's greatest gift to humanity. Uh, Bhagavad Gita literally translates to the Song of God. And in this, in this uh, poem or in this, in this song, essentially, it's a conversation between uh, Krishna and Arjun. Arjun. Yeah, I read it. I read it uh, my honeymoon. Okay. I was doing spiritual seeking and I was like, I need to have find out more. <laughs> and we see what the Indians have to say because yeah. they've been around for a long time. It made sense. And I was like, wow, it's a whole different perspective. That's when I actually went vegetarian because um, I had a Krishna philosophy about, um, you know, it's the same that, that that person who kills the animal, that person who consumes it is still inflicting harm. And, mm-hmm. I um, so. Yeah, there's so many, so many amazing like realizations that happened through reading it that resonated. I was like, oh, why am I feeling like this? That means there must be truth to it. Mm-hmm. And this was before I found psychedelics. That was really the first of my explorations outside of Catholicism and into like the other world. That and then right. was like Alan Watts into like a uh, Taoist and Buddhist philosophy. Okay. So yeah, I highly recommend it. Um, also, it's a very eye opener for those that want to sort of expand their horizons. Any questions that I haven't asked you that you want to share, things that, that you're passionate about that um, you think people need to know or any advice for people listening that may want to take things to the next level? Yeah, I'll say this. So one of the things that is what I would call the trillion dollar healthcare secret is really getting in tune with your nervous system. So there's the autonomic nervous system, which right now is coordinating basically the trillions of cells in our body. It's coordinating our breathing, our heart rate, our blood pressure, our digestive function, immune function, cell repair, cell death, all that stuff is being silently regulated by this system. And so that system has two modes. It's either in sympathetic mode or it's in parasympathetic mode. And when we're in a sympathetic state, we're either triggered for some reason based on our values, beliefs, or experiences, and that creates an immediate response. So for example, if a lion were to walk in this room, based on our experiences, values, or beliefs, we would instantaneously go into a stress response. That stress response would immediately send a signal down our spinal cord and all of our organs would basically shut off because the blood that was going to those organs is now going to go to our arms and legs so we can run away. When that happens, we basically shut off detoxification, we shut off our kidneys, we shut off our liver, we shut off our digestive system, reproductive organs, immune system, all that stuff shuts off. All the things that people are going to see their doctor for, their functional medicine doctor for, their naturopath for, all of those functions shut down. Simple example, when you're in fight or flight, only 5% of your blood goes to your liver and kidneys. When you're in a state of relaxation, repair, sleep, for example, then you're sending 50% of your blood to your liver and kidneys. 
So if I want someone to detox better, do I give them more detox pills, shakes and potions and lotions, or do I get them to sleep more or to get into a parasympathetic state? Because in order for the organ to function, I need to send blood flow to it. So a, a little uh, meme for you is where you send flow is where you send function. Just like if I want to curl something heavy, I got to send blood to my arms. Mm-hmm. If I want to run away, I got to send blood to my legs. And that blood has to come from somewhere. So the sympathetic state that most people are in, the sympathetic dominant state, basically inhibits them from having a true deep healing experience. And this is why when people go on vacation, they feel so much better, right? So for example, if, if somebody's feeling terrible, and we do, we're doing a workshop, let's say, we'll ask people, how many days does it take you to feel great again uh, when you're on vacation? They say, oh, I feel amazing in three days. So we know there's nothing wrong with your body, right? If you can feel good in three days, there's nothing wrong with your body because if you didn't feel good on vacation, then we know there's something wrong, mm-hmm. you know, uh, deeper that's going on. What we do know is that there's something wrong with the state and tone of your nervous system because when people are on vacation, they're in a relaxed state. So what we did is we changed the tone of their nervous system. We didn't change the chemistry Mm -hmm. of their body. And so the key to healing is getting people from being sympathetic dominant to going into a more parasympathetic state. And there's a couple ways, a couple layers to that. The first one is changing our thoughts and at a conscious level, but at an unconscious level. So uh, I'll give you an example. When there was a recent study done and they realized that the, the feeling of fear and excitement uh, or the chemistry of fear and excitement are essentially the same. So if somebody's freaking out because they're going to go give a workshop and they're nervous about public speaking, if they were to change their language internally from I'm nervous, I'm nervous, oh my God, uh, to I'm excited, I'm excited, I'm excited, within three times of saying I'm excited, their nervous system starts calming down. Hmm. If we wanted to do the same thing using breath, it takes about seven minutes. So we can use our body to control our physiology, but our mind works so much faster. Another thing to realize is that our limbic brain, which is where basically part of our brain, essentially an extension of our brainstem, where all of our sensory input comes in, that part of our brain is what makes the decision if we should have a stress response or not. So all of our past experiences, values, and beliefs are basically burned into that system. Usually that forms between the age of zero and eight. So between the age of zero and eight, your brain is a sponge and it's absorbing everything that's going on around you and it's categorizing whether this is fear or whether this is not fear. That part of your brain is wired for short-term decision-making. So it's not able to think about, you know, make good long-term decisions. It's really good at making good short-term decisions. Mm -hmm. This is where people sabotage themselves. This is where, you know, if you're under stress, you'll make a bad food choice. If you're under stress, you'll say something stupid that you'll regret a little bit later. And it's because your brain is wired or your brain is accessing the parts of it that are geared towards survival and short-term thinking. Mm -hmm. To access the part of your brain, which is the prefrontal cortex for long-term thinking, long-term decision-making, responsiveness versus reactiveness, that requires you being in a more parasympathetic state. But for some people, it requires them reprogramming their unconscious mind. So this can be done through a few ways. One popular way is is using uh, hypnotherapy. Another popular way could be plant medicines for some people because it just kind of re-establishes their, um, you know, what they're what they should fear and what they shouldn't fear. And a lot of times, people have trauma growing up, and their brain has categorized people, places, or things, even certain smells, with that trauma. Mm-hmm. And so those things can trigger them without them even knowing. 
information comes to the limbic brain first and then it goes to the prefrontal cortex. So a lot of times people are fighting the stress response. Even at a conscious level, they know that I shouldn't be stressed by this, I shouldn't be stressed by this. They're fighting their physiology, they're fighting mm -hmm. their nervous system. So information comes to the reptilian brain, limbic brain first, and then it goes to the prefrontal cortex. The signal has already gone down the spine. The hormones have already been released at this point. So we want to reprogram that. Another thing that we want to do to get people in a more parasympathetic tone is stimulating their vagus nerve. So we can stimulate the vagus nerve using a variety of different ways. One is humming, chanting, deep breathing, gargling, gagging yourself. Uh, the other, thing, other things that you can use are essential oils. So specific essential oils, I use a blend called parasympathetic, and it's a blend of uh, clove and lime oil. And we just apply that on both sides, uh, just on the mastoid process, and that uh, starts uh, properly stimulating and detoxing the vagus nerve. Another thing for the vagus nerve uh, that, you know, I, I mentioned gargling, but what you can do is you can gargle the alphabet twice. So fill your mouth up with water and gargle the alphabet twice twice in the morning, twice in the evening, and that's gonna to tonify our nervous system uh, or vagus nerve. And then tongue scraping, which Indian people do quite often, that's also stimulating uh, to the vagus nerve. So a lot of things that we can do to, to create that stimulation. And then- Even like chanting, singing, something yep. like that also activates. Yeah, because your vagus nerve is like right here. It's on the brain, it comes off the brainstem, and then it kind of comes down like this, and it goes to all the organs in your body. So mechanical stimulation of it, speaking, right? That's so why we always feel better after we talk to somebody. Mechanically, it stimulates our vagus nerve. Chanting, humming, those type of things are very powerful. And then deep breathing, creates a di creating a diaphragmatic breath also stimulates the vagus nerve. Mm, wonderful. So there you guys have it, guys. Um, those, all, those, all those amazing tips, especially the vagus nerve stuff. Very, very important. Most people have a low vagal tone because of stress, right? Yep. And, and then things don't work properly in the body. Right? Well, I, I do want to say this for completeness. So when we stimulate the vagus nerve, we shut off that stress response. And now every organ, cell, tissue in your body goes into a state of healing and repair. Mm -hmm. Because the same blood goes everywhere. So if my blood has cortisol in it, then that cortisol goes everywhere. right? It's signaling, it has an effect on every single cell and organ and tissue in my body. Whereas if I take that response and shut it off, then my cells go back into a state of healing, repair, and regeneration. So you either destroy everything at the same time or you fix everything at the same time. Mm -hmm. And that's the beauty of it, you know. But if you're if you're not seeing this, not visualizing this, and not recognizing the power of this, then you know, heart math is a great way to do it. Uh, you know, looking at your aura scores mm -hmm. and your HRV scores is a great way to measure your tone. Unless they're low and it stresses you a little more by looking at your numbers that are yeah. not <laughs> Yeah, that can happen too, right? So, you know, the thing, the one thing with the Gita is you detach from fruit, right? So you're not so focused on the outcome, but you're focused on what can I do to, um, you know, as long as you're giving your best every day, that's all we can ask for, mm. right? So we detach from the fruit, we detach from the numbers and the outcome, like even in our business, as long as I'm doing my best every day, I'm in my heart, I'm doing it with love, then... What more can you really ask for? Words to live by. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I also love what you said about um, relax, relaxing your nervous system and um, how the blood flow increases. I'm actually writing a book about the outline. I'm not actually start bringing it up, but it's on relaxing. Okay. It's, it's about, um, I call it relaxicity or neurolaxicity. It's the art of relaxing for a better and healthier life. Yeah. And for someone who has had trouble relaxing his whole life, want to do a million things. Uh, it's going to be a bunch of compilation of different stories, experiences. 
but also like ways to relax with breath breathing and some mm-hmm. kind of psychedelics and plant medicine. And I'd love to for you to write a chapter on the health benefits of relaxing. Let's what do, do you it. think? You in? I would love it. Awesome. It'd be honored. Good. Cool. So um, we're going to wrap up. Just let people know if, if they're curious. You already mentioned about your website, 30and30.org. Any other resources or places on social media where they can connect with you? Yeah. So if you're a practitioner, you can follow me at on Facebook at uh, the Sachin Patel. And if you're if you're not, you can certainly join our 30in30.org uh, campaign and start learning about how you can take the best care of yourself. And our practice website is becomeproof.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for uh, you, spending your time here today. Super valuable information. Guys, check him out. Send some love on social media. And uh, be sure to uh, subscribe to our podcast, YouTube channel. He's got some great content out, out there as well. Until next time, have a wonderful day. Uh, God bless you guys. Thank you so much.